you know, um, I preach a lot of sermons, but I don't, I don't recall in a long time being as excited to preach a sermon as I am right now, because I believe this is going to give some people in this room um, some stuff to put on good foundation. A lot of, lot of, a lot of us in this room got just great foundation. You, you believe on the Lord with everything you know about him and with everything you know about yourself. Um, and I believe today you're going to get some really solid building blocks. Your hope is going to be increased. Your understanding is going to be opened by the Holy Spirit. And you're going to feel like some tools are going to get put in your hands. And um, so it's, it's, it's this, you know, I get these sermons that are really practical. And I get these sermons that are full of mystery. And rarely do I get one that's both. And, and here it is. It's full of mystery and practicality. Um, you know, I don't know if any of you guys have ever mentored anybody or have, have ever been mentored, but you know, it's really easy to pick the wrong mentor. Did you know that? Like, is anybody familiar with this movie? I might have known you'd say yeah, okay? The movie's Dodgeball. I'm not recommending the movie. It's one of these really, the point of the movie is to be really dumb and they succeed, right? But this guy, okay, the game is Dodgeball, so just sort of picture it, right? You're meant to hit people with a ball, but by the very name of the game, you are meant to what? Right? And the guy they get to coach them is in a wheelchair. Go figure. So you, you sort of think, what kind of, what kind of, what have they done here? Except he really is a maestro. He really is a maestro. Um, and he gets these guys in great dodgeball shape, um, which what is great dodgeball shape, Right? This is his first piece of advice to him right here. He says, if you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. He tells them that, and one of the guys in the movie goes, huh? And he throws a wrench and hits the guy right in the face. Right? In other words, he, he gave this sort of verbal instruction and immediately followed it up with example. Right? And I'll tell you, in the Christian faith, in the Christian faith, what we think of as somebody who can both walk the walk and what, church? No, see, you fell for it. We, we, usually, we look, usually look for somebody that talks the talk and then walks the walk. Rarely do we go up to somebody who's just doing it and say, how are you doing it? That's what we ought to do. We listen to people who are talking, and a lot of times we don't analyze, are they walking? Make sense? And it's really easy to do that in this internet and digital age where you can, you can turn on the, the YouTube or go on a podcast and you can, you can listen to somebody or watch somebody, but you don't really know their lives. And so they do a lot of talking and we're left to wonder, do they do a lot of walking? Well, tonight in this Fruitful Disciple series, we've been building um, all this, this great package about what it looks like to be a fruitful disciple. Well, tonight, we're going to get some of those tools because we're going to look at what it's like for Jesus Christ to be your mentor, your coach. What it's like for you to really follow Jesus on a day-to-day basis in what you think, how you feel, and what you say. And I'm going to give you a framework. I'm going to trust you to search the Scriptures and to look for the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to say beforehand, if you, if you think you hear in my language, some stuff you might have read and say, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's life together. Perfect. You will. If you think you might hear of some stuff you read in Watchman Nee's Spiritual Man. Perfect. You will. 
You did. If you hear some talk that just smacks of Paul Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, perfect. Perfect. If you hear some stuff that sounds like Thomas Akimis' Imitation of Christ, great. You will. You did. None of this good stuff is original. Somebody say amen. There is nothing new under the sun. Let me get another amen. Right? If there's anything good and godly, it comes down from heaven. Nobody is copywriting Jesus' stuff. If you think you hear some of, some of John Owen's The Mortification of Sin, then you are. Because through the scriptures and through my brothers and sisters through the ages, my life has been indelibly marked by looking for people who could unfold the ideology of the scriptures and who also lived the life of Jesus. And I have looked for those people. I have looked for those people. I have not looked for slick operators. That's why John Bunyan's one of my heroes. He, he refused to not preach a gospel, and he spent years in prison over it. He walked the walk, and he also talked the talk. So if you hear of all that stuff, I've already given them credit. You know, there you go. You ready? Let's look at seven verses from two different passages together, starting tonight with just one verse from Ephesians chapter number 5, verse number 1. This is what the Bible says. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And now, this is where I want you to camp out. Over in 1 John chapter 2, first six verses say this. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is a propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know, them, know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Church, you, know, you want to divide some stuff up going on in the world today? Just, just put 1 John 2, 5 to memory. Let me read that one again. Whoever keeps his word, uh, but whoever keeps his word, excuse me, four, thank you. Casey, I was like, what? This does not sound right. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a what, church? All right, so whoever is talking the talk and is not walking the walk is what? Let's, let's, let's identify that again. Whoever is talking the talk and not walking the walk is a what, church? All right. And the truth is not in that person. You say, wait a minute, they're, they're saying the truth. Wait a minute. Saying must accompany what? Doing. Talking must go with, okay. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Father, as we open your word, open our hearts, give us a passion for the Savior. Give us a passion for the one you are pleased with. Cause us to treasure Jesus, to consider him is most worthy of our praise, of most worthy of our following. Father, open our minds that we might have a greater understanding about the person of the Godhead and that we may find in you the greatest delight of all of, all of life. In Jesus we pray, amen and amen. So if you're going to be an ambassador for the Lord, if you're going to embrace suffering for the Lord, if you're going to bear fruit for the Lord, let's just get right down to brass tacks. You're going to have to be a disciple of Jesus whose life is emulating the Lord Jesus. Point blank, period. 
So tonight, I want to give you three frameworks that I challenge each and every one of you East Rockers, I challenge you to start to consider these frameworks every day, all day long, okay? I mean, really, when you start to look at your work day, look at these frameworks and say, how will my day be at work in following Jesus? If you're a parent like me, what will it look like for me to parent like Jesus? If you're, if you're doing some service in your local church, what will it look like for me to render this service like the Lord Jesus? So let me go ahead and jump in because you guys know I haven't stood at this sacred desk for several weeks. So I'm fired up. You ready? First, let's see why we are to imitate Jesus. I'm going to give you these, and I'm going to go super fast, and I'm going to really trust you guys to write down some notes and search your scriptures all week long. I'm going to go really fast. Why are we to imitate Jesus? Number one, it's the expectation of God. The whole reason I threw in Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 1, is so, you know, and that's actually a quote of an Old Testament verse. So that's an Old Testament message, New Testament message. It is a message for all mankind. Be imitators of God. All right, that's the command. If we don't have any other reason to try to pattern our life after the holy God, then guess what? That's reason enough. Look at your neighbor and tell them, it's reason enough. Now, how many times have you guys heard me say when we get ready to take the Lord's Supper? If we don't have any other reason to take the Lord's Supper, Jesus says, y'all get together, and when you get together, y'all do this in remembrance of me. Reason enough. Amen? If you say, why in the world does people get baptized? That seems antiquated. It seems ridiculous. Jesus says, go you into the world, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Reason enough to do, to, to baptize people, to take the Lord's Supper is because the Master commanded it. The God of all that he is and all that is unseen says, be imitators of me. We could actually just pray right now. <laughs> Lord, good sermon, let's go. And then we'd all be left wrestling with not the, not the why, but the how. But let me give you some other compelling reasons. Because I find that when I have a reason that really makes me struggle, often other reasons will help me see where I'm strong in some area or helps that make sense or finds life. Let me give you some other reasons. Second reason I'd give you is it's the command of the Scriptures. Now, okay, if you've, if you've ever been around me when I'm preaching, I usually print two or three half pages in 14-point font. I have 11 pages in 12-point font, full pages. I want to make this confession. Most of this is Scripture. Because I'm really tempted to hold you here and read verse after verse after verse. But I won't. I won't. I want to typify it, and I want to give you a couple other places to look. Go back and look at 1 John chapter 2, verse number 6. What does he say here? He says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk the same way he walked. Scripture commands it. And if you were to stay in 1 John chapter number 2, and you were to go down to verse number 29, look at what verse 29 says. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Why do we imitate Jesus? God expects it. The scriptures command it. If you want other places, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Go to Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Go to 1 John uh, chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. I mean, we could survey the whole scriptures, and what they say is, seek to be like your creator. So it's a command of scripture. It's the expectation of God. Thirdly, 
And, and this, this one right here is going to bless somebody who just hadn't thought about it, okay? It is the goal. You ready? I'm going to give you three sermons in one. You ready? If you're ready, say, I'm ready, Tim. It is the goal of your sanctification. It's the goal of your salvation. And it's the goal of your discipleship. What am I saying here? The reason God the Father saved you is to make you into the images of Jesus. The thing he is doing through setting you apart from, from, from the rest of the world is making you like Jesus. And the following of Jesus is meant to be his tool to make you like Jesus. In other words, it's the point of all of the holy work of God. It's going to surprise somebody. The point of the holy work of God isn't to get you into heaven. The point of the holy work of God isn't to get you to stop being a, a dope head and a drunk. The point of the holy work of God is not to make you wealthy and popular. Isn't that the most annoying noise in the world? You're welcome. The point is to make you just like Jesus. And in saving you, he hides you in Jesus and rescues you from your own flesh, from the power of the devil, from the destiny of hell. He hides you in Jesus, and through the work of Jesus, he's making you just like Jesus so that you will escape the, the, the weakness of your flesh, so that you'll find the true riches of eternity is knowing God. The whole point of this work is to make you just like Jesus. And you, you, you can go to whole entire churches where they tell you God has sent his son to an ugly cross so that you can have a nice car and a big house. Well, I took Greek. And we learned a word to describe that sort of thinking. I've taught it, y'all. What is it? <laughs> it's hogwash, but you're right. Andrew said lies. He's right, too. All right? Is there anything wrong with having a nice car and a big house? Not necessarily. Okay? I drive one of the sweetest minivans in Roxborough. And I whips it. I live in one of the coolest 1,100-square-foot brick houses money can buy. But the point, of, the point of salvation, the point of sending Christ to the cross, is because he saw us, having been made to be people who would enjoy him without shame, broken, cut off, dead in our trespasses and sin. And it's sort of ridiculous to think God's going to come and wake you up out of spiritual death so you can drive around a piece of junk that's going to be rust and dust one day. Now, here's what's cool. In becoming like Christ, we escape all of those snares of Satan. We escape all of the faults of our flesh. We enjoy all of the treasures of God, which are better than the treasures of the world. So it's, it's, it's the expectation of God. It's the command of Scripture. It's the point of your salvation, the point of your sanctification, the point of your discipleship. Fourthly, it is. Now, here's the one somebody ain't ready for. It is the joy of spiritual flourishing. Woo! This is one of these times where I'm really tempted to, to just stop and go preach another passage. But this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to reference it. I want you guys who are Bible students, I want you to write this down. I want you to study this passage. You guys know the story. I'm going to turn there. I'm not going to get y'all to turn there because if y'all turn there, Lord have mercy, we're going to be here past the times that lock casinos open. Y'all know we cannot do that. Every, 
Every good sermon should be followed by good Mexican food. I'm telling you. This is just wisdom on my part. In John chapter 3, 13, excuse me, you have this incredible episode. Okay? It's an incredible episode where Jesus washes their feet. Okay? All right. Do you ever stop to think that what he is doing is twofold? One, he is removing any excuse ever to put yourself above somebody else. God in the flesh gets down on his knees and does the work a slave wouldn't do. That's the right response, actually. I've trained them well. But secondly, secondly, he is revealing that we are so turned upside down that we don't even know how to get to joy. Look at, well, I'm going to look at it. Y'all listen, don't turn there. I'll go crazy if y'all turn there. Write it down, check it out. Look at, look at John chapter 13, verses uh, 1 through, through 20, but specifically 12 through, uh, through, through 17. Verse 17 says this, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Know what? Back up one verse. Listen to what he says, church. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now, what has this master just done? He's got down his knees and washed people's feet. And he's like, I'm telling y'all, all right? Like, what if he's talking to just you, Dale? He says, Dale, I'm telling you, right? You, if you're the boss of everybody in the city of Roxborough, you're not better than a single soul, all right? But, but you are, because you, you've been elevated. You've been given position. But how do you, you don't think of yourself as better. So how do you do that? You serve the people that are theoretically below you. What's Jesus do? He serves the people who are below him. And then he tells them in verse 17, one of the secrets of life. If you know this, it's like saying, Carson, if you get this, if you get it, if you get that the key to your personal joy is serving people, man, you're really going to be blessed. It's like he's saying, Rachel, if you understand that the greatest joy in your life will be in humbling yourself and serving others, man, you're going to be blessed. Now, you see how backwards we are? We think we're blessed when we have enough that people have to come and serve us. That's backwards. So why imitate Jesus? We have to answer that question before we go forward. The Father demands it. Scripture commands it. It's the point of your salvation, sanctification, discipleship, and it is the joy of spiritual flourishing. Do you guys want to flourish in your relationship with God? Then... Take, I ain't going to be like Casey and try to sing like this guy, but it's the one time you should take uh, Robert Zimmerman's advice. Anybody know who Robert Zimmerman is better known as? Anybody? Huh? Bob Dylan. What did he sing, Casey? No, do it like you usually do it. <laughs> you know you got to serve somebody, right? Now, from a different framework, I'm even from the Christological framework, that the God, a very God, left the throne of heaven, and to show us what it's like, he does two key things that should inform our pride in a big way. He goes to a cross, and he washes feet. But then he says of it, he's like, this, this is the joy. This is the key to your joy. 
Now, you think about American Daydream. American Daydream says, let me get enough money that I can go somewhere and sit around the place so nice that everybody's doing everything for me. That's, Ameri- that's the American key for joy. You know, like, anybody remember when you used to have to, like, stand up and go change the TV? Now you'll waste more energy than it would take to change the TV looking for the remote. You know what drives me crazy? I miss this. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Because in that motor brakes, you're talking about some big money, right? We so lazy, man. We, I mean, we, we even serving ourselves, we cop out. You know? Like, I, I crack up. Now, whoever I offend, just get over it. All right? <laughs> I crack up at all the people who go buy expensive coffee. All of it tastes like worm dirt to me. Save five bucks, go in the kitchen, and pour you some. Now, if you love it, though, the, the analogy breaks down, because look at me and ice cream, right? I get it. I don't eat junky ice cream. Okay. There's a such a thing. I'm an ice cream snob. Okay, but listen, guys. Do you get what I'm saying? We're so turned around, we think everything's about us, and we've reached this height of success when we're being served. Jesus says you... You reach the height of understanding blessing when you go serve. So why imitate Jesus? God demands it. Scripture commands it. It is the point of your, your salvation, sanctification, discipleship, and, and it is the pathway to your joy. Uh, my daughters will tell you. What do I tell you all, all the time, girls? The pathway to greatness is what? Oh, some other people have picked up on it. The pathway to your joyous, humble service the pathway to greatness in the kingdom is humble service. So there's the why of it. The Father demands it. Scripture commands it. It's the point of your relationship with God. And lastly and finally, it is the joy of your life. And you won't ever know that until you test it. Secondly tonight, I want to understand this. When it comes to imitating Jesus, all right, we've seen the why of it. Let's start to work into the how of it. First, in the how of it is point number two. Our habitual lifestyle choices should be to conform to the likeness of Christ. Let me say that again. Our habitual lifestyle choices should be to conform to the likeness of Christ. At some point in your faith, okay, there's just this simple thing where you say, let me go find out who Jesus is so I'll know him and know how to copycat him. Secondly, there's this simple thing. Let me see what he said for us to do, and let me get about doing it. Doesn't that just make, that just makes too much sense. I need to know who he is, because I want to be like him. I got to know him. This morning, uh, it, you know, I've told y'all, right? This is just by way of illustration. I told y'all how much I hate wearing these rubber bracelets. And remember, I told you I'm going to wear this, because I want you guys, I want you guys not wearing it to be convicted. I want y'all to remember you should be sharing the gospel. But, Hardly, hardly anybody has asked me about it. Several people have thought it was a medical thing. They're like, are you all right? I'm like, yeah, what's that bracelet? Oh, yeah, that's why I'm all right. You know? But a lady this morning asked me. She asked me. She said, what is that? And uh, she saw, what she, she saw, it was up like this, said, repent and believe. She wanted to know what that was all about. I mean, that's like the Holy Ghost jumping down on your head and saying, opportunity, right? So I started sharing with her, and she, she's a part of a, a local church many miles away from here, and they, they, have, they have just fallen victim to the culture 
right? And she doesn't know what to do. And I, you know what I exhorted her to do? I said, your, your first step is you just get to, you need to get to know Jesus in a fresh way, right? So you're over here making emotional decisions about what your church is doing, and what you need to do is make missional decisions based on the character of Jesus. Do you know I just described what most of us fall victim to in our life? We make emotional decisions based on what we feel like doing or not doing, rather than getting to know who Jesus is, patterning our life after Jesus, and obeying him. Am I making sense to anybody say amen? And so the devil doesn't want a good intention believer to get into the scriptures. Your flesh don't want you to get into the scriptures. But the God of heaven is giving you the revelation, and he's just like, I told the lady, I said, just start reading the Gospels. Just start reading the Gospels. Find out who Jesus is in a fresh way. You, if you go back over here to where we're camped at at in 1 John chapter 2, <clears throat> the, you know, I, I like what the Apostle John just, just tells them right off, right off rip. He says, I'm writing to y'all for a purpose now. I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. I want you to follow Jesus, and I want you to escape the bondage and damage of sin. In verse 2, he tells them, um, remember, Jesus is the propitiation uh, uh, for our sins, not ours only. You know what he does right there? He gives you, in 1 John chapter number 2, verse number 2, the constant reminder of how you recover from failure and the constant reminder, reminder somebody say reminder, of what your mission is. You're going to fail. When you sin, that's all right. Go to the one who can forgive you and heal you, okay? And then remember what your mission is. Go tell the world that they have payment for their sin, too. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 is powerful, okay? At some point, we've got to find out who he is, and at some point, we've got to simply obey him. This is where the word of God is so crucial. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6 says, uh, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Well, you've got to learn how he walks. Somebody say amen. If you're going to follow the commandments, you've got to know the commands. I love it. I, and I'm not being sarcastic, but I love it when people walk up to me and tell me, I want to know what God's special purpose for me in my life is. I'm like, just read the Bible. Just find out what his purpose is for the church. Because if you're not part of the church, you're not part of Christ. But if you're part of the church, you have some standing orders. All right, so I had three brothers and a dad. And uh, a, a, a girl came to live with us when I was 13. And uh, basically, not officially, but basically my parents adopted her. But for most of my childhood, my mom lived with five dudes. Anybody want to guess what one of her standing commands was? Who said put the seat down? I heard it, like, did several people, like, right and isn't it amazing that with the power of mom, all five men, and look, we, we sort of pride ourselves on it. Like, you know, if you could get a Boy Scout badge for it, we'd have one with like a little toilet seat. And people would say, what's that all about? I said, we don't leave it down. It didn't hurt, you know, that our mom was tiny, and if you didn't have it down, she'd fall in. So it was a rescue method, too. I know it sounds crazy, but you won't forget it. So some people could come into our house and totally miss out on something my mom values. Pretty easy. But not us. We're schooled in the art of following our mom. Like, you, you, can, you can do all kinds of things. You can, you can leave your hat on in the house, and mom doesn't mind, but my grandma hated it. You can, uh, you know, some, my grandma wants you to take your shoes off when you come in her house. My mom said, come on in. It don't bother me if your shoes are on. 
So every house is different. And you know that, don't you? Everybody up here can get up here and tell stories about how you could do one thing in this relative's house, you couldn't do it in this other relative's house. Well, I'm telling you, this is my father's world. So a disciple of Jesus has to start looking at who he is. Now, what do I suggest? I actually suggest the whole Bible. But if you want to hone in on some things, hone in on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 through 7, and just study that for a while. Just study it. See how Jesus is always getting to the heart of issues and not just the action of issues. And you ever notice when people question you about your Christianity, they're always trying to figure out how far their actions can go. When Jesus talks about the faith, he's always saying how far your heart needs to go. So he would say something like, love the Lord your God with what? Come on, say it louder. All your heart. What else? All your soul. All your. And all your strength. Right? Now, I I tell you what, I I have this chart up here. Let me just mention, you can actually find this chart on Wikipedia. I'm not going to hang with it long, right? There was a period in church history where they named the seven deadly sins. And you can actually find this right on Wikipedia. I copied and pasted. And so the church, like, okay, we've identified seven deadly sins, things that will cut you off, kill you, mess you up bad. So now we want to find these seven life-giving practices. And it's really interesting. And there's a lot of talk about it. You can find it in a lot of the writings of the, of the church some several hundred years ago. But in John Owen's book on the mortification of sin, he basically put out several virtues of Christ. I'm going to put a list up here and let you fill in your blanks. I think I could do a sermon on each one of these. And if you'll notice what each one is, it's an inner quality that manifests in an outer action. Let me say that again. It's an inner quality that shows up or comes out through action. Right? Like, uh, I'll pick up my wife. She said thanks. <laughs> All right, Care, Care for years has said she's a Duke fan. Right? Right? Care, what did I start telling you about being a Duke fan? We didn't rehearse this. What do I say you got to be to say you're really a fan? On the current team. And so, you know why, you know why Kara Bowes is a Duke fan? Because she's really a Wilbur Burton fan, and she knows everything about Wilbur Burton. And Wilbur Burton loves Duke, so she loves Duke because she loves Wilbur Burton. All right? Well, you know, I, I say, like, I'm a Virginia Cavalier fan. I, I can go down the bench, man. I know the starters, right? You're not really a fan until you know something, right? Here, here's what I'm saying. Until you start to really see who Jesus is, you don't even have an idea of how to follow him. So you've got to make getting to know him and putting into practice his lifestyle, you've got to make it your lifestyle. I see the time. We have to fly. But just look at these. Humility that comes out through servanthood. Haven't we already sort of co- covered that? Now go back and read the Gospels and look for that to show up everywhere. Compassion that comes out, you know, it's an inner, inner virtue that comes out through kindness and forgiveness. Who, who remembers the episode? Jesus being nailed to the cross, what's he say? What? Why, why forgive them? They don't know what they're doing. You see that? <laughs> you, you, ever, you ever been in one of those situations? We were the other day where it said, like, left lane is closing. And, and you go ahead and, you know, merge right. Who makes you mad in these scenarios? 
So people start blazing down through it. And that's fine. You're meant to zipper, but you're meant to zipper at the first hundred barrels, not the last five. I don't know if y'all understand that. Okay, this is, let me change coats here and put on my driving 101 coat. All right, but if you ever notice you're in these driving situations and somebody does something dumb and, you know, I, my pet name is Dingbat. Or I'll say that goof. I think I said it about five times coming up 40 today. Yeah, that goof. But I, I'm that guy that when somebody, when somebody like has, like say New York plates, I go, oh, they haven't been through here before. I'll give them a break, right? Have you ever done that, or is it just me? The thing is, Jesus has compassion on people from the area who are still breaking the law. We do situational compassion. Jesus doesn't. The situation is, he's compassionate. It comes out through kindness and forgiveness. Generosity manifests in generosity. It seems like a trick, doesn't it? But you've got to have a generous spirit on the inside before you have a generous hand on the outside. If you're stingy in your heart, you're going to be stingy with your hands. And one of the ways that manifests is you only give to what you want to give to because you're generous toward that cause, not in general. Rut row. Purity that shows up in holiness and righteousness. And with people, with people, purity is the absence of, of, uh, of dirtiness. But with Jesus, purity is the presence of righteousness. It's in him. Endurance that shows up through long-suffering. And love that shows up through benevolent sacrifice. Now, why do I bring all this up? And I see, I see the time, and we got to fly. Let me go. I got scripture for all of these. <clears throat> but this is why I bring this up as it pertains to 1 John chapter 2. Go back to your Bible. Look at it. Okay? Whoever says, I know him. Whoever says, I know him. But not, does not keep his commandments as a what, church? So here's what God is wanting to do. God is wanting to give you the qualities, the virtues of Jesus, and to put you on display, to put you in situations in your life that you have an opportunity for those inner qualities to become outer actions. Did you know that? There's so much more. I wanted to read to you something from Jonathan Edwards' book, The Religious Affections. I'm not going to do it. Let me, let, me, let me end this section with a quote, and then let's put some bricks together and get out of here. One of my favorite quotes of all time from Augustine. He says, Why art thou proud, O man? God for thee became low. Thou wouldst perhaps be ashamed to imitate a lowly man, then at least imitate the lowly God. All right. So what does this boil down to? Why? Why imitate Jesus? God commands it. God demands it. Scripture commands it. It is the point of your salvation, sanctification, discipleship, and it is the pathway to your joy. How do we imitate Jesus? We do it by getting to know him and obeying him. And it's really that simple. Following Jesus has become a habit in your life. Rachel and I were in a situation the other day, and, and I was very frustrated, and when we left out of the situation. I got in my car, and I, I said, Rachel, you just watch your daddy eat his tongue, slap out of his mouth. I was literally thinking about this sermon and how I wanted compassion to manifest in kindness. 
And the war of the universe, as far as I was concerned, was happening right here. What was bouncing back and forth between the seat of my affections, the seat of my thoughts, and the place where they easily leak out of. And I kept going. This is what it looked like. But I was straight eating my tongue slap out of my head. It don't taste good either. If you can't find somebody worth following, I think God's always worth following. Lastly, and very quickly, the invitation that God puts to us when it concerns living the life that he wants us to live is to understand and embrace God's method of making us like Jesus. Now, I listened to this guy named Timothy Keller. And I'll go ahead and tell you, if you happen to listen to Timothy Keller's podcast, I straight ripped off most of this from him. I love Timothy Keller. He's a pretty neat guy. But he, he has this thing he calls, basically, I'm, I'm putting it in Tim Bo's words because he talks longer than I do, believe it or not. He has basically what he might call the, the threefold approach of God. How is God working to cause us to embrace what he demands and commands and then to literally live it out? Okay, first he says God has an inside-out approach. Okay? What do I mean by that? Again, we could go all over Scripture, but here's what I mean. When you surrender yourself to the living God, the Holy Spirit abides in you, and he is working in you to make you into a new person. All of a sudden, I have a big... Because you want me to be like Jesus, I know me. It ain't going to happen, Jack. I'm out here on the interstate driving... Uh, 79 and a 70, calling people dingbats. I, I mean, I, you know, I'm sort of like that guy who prayed, you know, Lord, I've been great today. I haven't cussed anybody out. I haven't got any arguments. haven't had any bad thoughts about anybody. But in a minute, Lord, I'm going to get out of this bed, and I'm going to need all the help I can get. I feel, I, I say, man, what a noble life to follow Jesus. Right? Anybody with me? What a noble thing to discover who he is and pattern my life after him. Amen? And I sort of go, good luck to the person who can do it. But I think you need the noble approach. I mean, I think you need the noble mindset. Man, this is worth doing. It's what God tells me to do. It's the good thing to do. It is the pathway to my joy. I think we need to believe that. I believe it to you. But then I feel powerless. I feel weak. I mean, I know, you know, I, I joke People think I'm joking. I'm really not. I tell people all the time, I grew up white trash. I know how to be trashy and sinful. I got it on lock. Chink. And I see that there's a better way, but how can I do it? I take great comfort in knowing. I take great comfort in knowing that I have an advocate in heaven always pleading my case. And I have the Holy Spirit inside changing the reality of who I am. And he will not stop at his work until he has finished it. What is the finished product? Until you're just like Jesus, believer. Somebody need that hope tonight. You feel the trashy you, and you want the good Jesus. And you say, how do I get from here to here? I'm going to tell you, God is working above you. God is working inside you. God is holding all the creation together. He is upholding you by the word of his power. He holds all things, all things, all things together. He holds all things. All things, all things together. And you're about to cotton pick and lose it. 
And that's the only truth you got right there. And it's enough. Secondly, he uses an outside-in approach. That's where I really lean into 1 John 2, 3, and 4. I really lean in. He's, he's like saying, check yourself. <laughs> Are you keeping his commandments? Now, I, I would suggest to anybody to read mere Christianity for any reason. But it's, it's, it's in mere Christianity, uh, there's this place, there's one chapter where C.S. Lewis says this. What is the good of pretending to be what you are not? Well, even on the human level, you know there are two kinds of pretending. There's a the bad kind where the pretense is there instead of the real thing. And then there's the good kind where the pretense leads up to the real thing. This is really a beautiful thought. C.S. Lewis continues, when you're not feeling particularly friendly, but you know you ought to be, the best thing you can do very often is to put on a friendly manner and behave as if you were the nicest person, a nicer person than you actually are. And in a few minutes, as we have all noticed, you will be feeling really friendlier than you were. In other words, pursue outwardly what God is pursuing inwardly for you. Go for it. Try to live like Jesus. Go for it. Do it. The problem that we see in Scripture is if we don't even try, we're a liar. We don't really know God. That's tough language. Thirdly, and this is, this is one of my favorites because it really helps me. It helps me because I've messed everything up in my life. I have. Tim Keller basically says, again, I'm, I'm putting my own words on some teaching he has, that God uses a forward-backward approach. Now, basically what this means is that we're always looking ahead to what we will be. Right? Because you can get totally emotionally wrecked by just looking back at all you've been. Now, if you're a really good person, you hadn't made many mistakes, it's, you can look back and say, well, I'm better than everybody else. But when you compare your life to Christ, which is what we've been talking about, you look back and go, oh, my goodness, I'm not better than Jesus. I'm nowhere like Jesus. So what I need to do is to remember, I, I need to remember that I am going to be like Jesus, not because I'm a good guy, because I got, I'm in the hand of a good God. Look at your neighbor. Hold out your hand. Look at him. Just hold out your hand and say, you in the hand of a good God. Tell him. Tell your other neighbor. Are you in the hand of a good God? So whenever you're feeling kind of despairing about where you are, you're feeling kind of hopeless about who you've been, in Christ, look ahead at what you're going to be. And the last in this fourfold approach, because this is, this is how this is all coming together, is God uses what I call, don't blame this on Tim Keller at all, I call it the final flourish approach. We're not going to do it, but if you were to go to Romans chapter 8, verse 30, the Bible says, and those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified or made right, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. In other words, if, if God in his sovereignty decides to take Brett Carver home today, Brett, what percentage are you like Jesus today? No, I'm talking about right now. right now. Sitting right here. What, what percentage are you just like Jesus? I thought he'd want to adjust that math. Oh, you're doing, hey, wow. He's doing good. Yes, I'm at church. I'm quiet. I'm helping my wife with the kids. I'm doing good. So you went from three to ten just by, okay. All right. All right. 
if God, and I don't want this to happen, right? But if God takes you home, in the blink of an eye, you'll be absent from the flesh, present with the Lord, and there'll be no more less percentages. Now I say, Tim, explain all that. <laughs> I just did as best I can. I don't know exactly how the translation works, how we're translated out of the flesh and present. I don't know. Nobody does. Somebody tells you they do, they're, they're telling you hogwash lies. But it, I believe it happens, all right? The final flourish is that whatever, however like Jesus you are, whether Jesus comes back and takes his church home or he takes you home out of his church right now, he's going to finish the work that he started, and you're going to be just like Jesus. <laughs> Woo! Man, that's a long sermon. It's a lot of stuff. But this is, this is what he wants for us. Right? And I think a lot of people get the idea that being called to be like Jesus is sort of like that scene from Snow White where all the animals start helping you get dressed and stuff. <laughs> being like Christ on earth, Christ himself, what happened to him, guys? He was crucified, all right? So I don't think the picture that all the birds help you make your clothes and that would be fascinating, but I'm going to have to have some big birds to pick my britches up. <laughs> what it will do, though, listen, listen to me. It will put you on a shame-free, passion-filled pursuit of purposeful living. Do I need to say that again? It will put you on a shame-free, passion-filled pursuit purpose in this life. You won't have nothing to duck your head about in following Jesus. Okay? You'll wake up every day with something, things to do that matter in eternity. Okay? And it's stuff you can feel really good about. So I got some questions in closing. Have you trusted yourself to God in Christ Jesus? That's the first step. If you've not made peace with the Father through the Son, that's the invitation. He might even drew you into that room for this invitation to get you to, to there. Have you trusted yourself? Because that's when all this work begins. Right? It says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. Saved from what? Saved from hell. Saved from the flesh. Saved from uh, the penalty of sin. Saved from the wrath of God. Saved from the clutches of Satan. You're saved from a lot of stuff. The Bible also says, so that's what you're saved from. That's the get away from the negatives. But you come into the positive. The Bible says in John 1, 12, it, it, you know, if you believe on, on that name, Jesus and everything he represents, and receive him as Lord of your life, you'll be given the right to be called the sons and daughters of God. So you not only escape from something, you go into something. And then all this work begins. Do you embrace sanctification by spiritual disciplines and, and scriptural obedience? I mean, are you, are you pursuing this outward stuff. Do you work to mortify sin in your life? And yes, that's John Owen showing up big time in the question. Kill sin. John Owen would say, be killing sin or it'll always be killing you. Always be killing sin. Our culture teaches you to justify sin, embrace sin, ignore righteousness. Scripture teaches you the exact opposite. Embrace righteousness and get healed from sin. Escape sin. Kill sin. Are you a student of Scripture? Are you seeking to learn the life of Christ in all things? And are you accountable in community? 
You know, I've driven my kids nuts. I really have. Uh, when When I came to the Lord, I wasn't raised in church, right? I knew I had to learn how to live, and I knew that I needed, I mean, I didn't, I just need to learn how to live. I didn't know how to look at anything the way God wanted me to look at it. And so, my reference became not, um, you know, like, who knows I'm doing bad. My reference became, God, what is the good to do? I stopped trying to worry about whether a, a, a co-worker caught me being lazy, a cop caught me speeding, and I started saying, God, just what do you want me to do? Right? And so my kids, what I've always told them, right, I, I didn't, and, and if I upset somebody, great, you're young. You're mostly young people. you got time to get over it, okay? I didn't say, you know, like Santa Claus is watching you. I would say, as a, especially after they came to the Lord, is this pleasing God as a disciple of Jesus? That became the point of all our disciplines. I think it's the point of all our disciplines as grown-ups, too. And not just in the negative, in the positive. This is life. And this is what God wants for us. And it is the key to our joy. Father, Father, I have laid a great many words upon these people. Some, some persons here needed one section more than the others. Some people needed one comment more than the, any others. But I pray, Father, that from your word you feed your people. You you command us to imitate you. You command through scriptures to, to imitate you. But we're powerless, and we just admit, I admit I need you so much. I want to be like Jesus. I want to pursue his lifestyle, but I need your help. Father, I suspect there are many in this room who feel exactly like I do. It is a noble life to be a follower of Jesus. It is an excellent thing to be like Jesus. But we are weak and broken, wounded and damaged. And we need your power at work within us and through us. Father, I pray that you lead each person to that thought, that commitment, that place of repentance, that, that thing they need to embrace. You lead each person, Holy Spirit, as only you can. So that in this time of reflection and response, We'll respond to you. In Jesus, I pray. Amen.